Sales Tuners, Episode 12, Ray Carroll, Vice President of Sales at Engageo. Um, everybody wants to hide behind email. It's easy to throw a ridiculous price at an AE over email and wait for them to squirm and, you know, duck them out of a phone conversation, wait for them to just break. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Anias Nin, who said, life shrinks and expands in proportion to one's courage. Today, I'm joined by Ray Carroll, Vice President of Sales at Engageo, an account-based everything platform for landing and expanding customer accounts. Prior to his current role, Ray spent seven years with Marketo, where he grew from an account executive hitting 125% of annual quota three years in a row to becoming the first internal promotion to management and was a key leader on their way to IPO. When Ray isn't working with marketing professionals, he's very likely to be following the defending Super Bowl champions, his beloved Denver Broncos. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Octa for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octa is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesstuners.com slash carol. But now let's get to the conversation where Ray talks about the difference between people who can take a company from nothing to something and those who can take a company from something to something bigger. There are people that really are inspired and energized by taking a company from nothing to something. And then there's people that are really good at taking a company from something to something bigger. And if, you know, I live in the Silicon Valley, which is really the the fulcrum of innovation, especially in technology. And the people that build the legacy in the Valley are the ones that build something. No one remembers who took IBM from 250 million to 500 million in revenue, but they remember who took Marketo from zero to 100 which was one of my mentors, Bill Binch. And to me, that's what living in the Silicon Valley is all about. And so I very much knew that Engageo and the stage that Engageo was at was where my heart was calling me when my time was done at Marketo. So it was a relatively easy transition for me in the context of things. I love it. There's a lot of pressure in that, but at the same time, all the glory you get to reap once you've actually uh, hit the mountaintop. Ray, take me way back even before that. How did you actually get into sales? So I was a communications major in college. Um, and back before that, even in high school, I was kind of always seen as the is is the hustler in a sense. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. And so I really liked sports and competing, but I went to really uh, a really prestigious high school, De La Salle High School in the East Bay in Northern California. And I wasn't big enough, strong enough, fast enough to play football or play basketball or play soccer, but I still really enjoyed it. So I did lots of 
pools and um, organize a lot of things around sports. And I was good at recruiting people into those pools. Like I'd have a hundred people in my high school inside Ray Carroll's football pool. So I was good at selling people on the idea of giving me some money to do this pool. Um, but at first I wanted to get into television broadcasting. I wanted to be the next Bob Costas. But the problem was there's only one Bob Costas and his name is Bob Costas and he's still Bob Costas. Um, and so, and also to get there, it required a lot of traveling and um, doing all kinds of things that were just taking a long time. And so I decided to get into sales. I was working, I started as an inside salesperson at an event planning company called Planet Interactive, which is still around and doing well. And that company essentially provided corporate event entertainment for large companies like Google or Apple when they had their summer picnic or their holiday party. We'd bring them all the stuff that made that really memorable. And uh, so that's where I got my start. Ray, as you kind of know, what we do in this show is we talk about the three different sections that I think you know leads to success. And that's the behavior, the attitude, and the technique. The behavior is what you do. The attitude is what you believe about what you do. And the technique is, is how you do it. So I want to start and talk a little bit about the sales process today. How does someone buy from you today at Engageo? So like you said in the intro, Engageo is an account-based everything platform. And um, our vision with that is we think that over-automation is killing the effectiveness of sales and marketing. And we're trying to build a platform and a category that makes people feel human again. And the, the tie-in there is when you're selling to big companies and you want to grow the average contract value and move up market and bring on bigger enterprise companies, they don't buy the same way that one person inside of a medium-sized company would buy. They buy through consensus and evangelism and educating the rest of their company. And our software helps people do that. Um, in terms of how they would buy it from us today, um, I think people would have a defined need inside their company where they want to attract bigger customers. They want to expand their existing customers. They want to improve the quality of revenue that they're generating inside the company. And they want to move into the enterprise, which is the most profitable part of SaaS. And once they've identified that that underlying need exists, then they would um, go through our sales process, which traditionally includes speaking to an account development rep. We call it ADR as opposed to SDR, because no one wants to be sold to. You don't call your account executives sales executives. You call them account executives. And so we call our SDRs ADRs for account development rep. And then you talk to an account executive where we better understand your needs. We customize a demo for you. Um, depending on the size of the deal, there might be some value creation and value assessment. And then we'd um, work to walk you through a purchase process. So that's how someone would buy in the eyes of Engageo. So uh, I'm going to use that role of account account development, account executive. I like that. Um, go all the way back to when you were that account executive at uh, Marketo, and then now as you're training them, what were you doing on a daily basis? What has led to your success of where you are? So selling has changed. Um, I'd probably say some of the things that made me wildly successful um, at Marketo as an AE are still applicable, but then there's some new things that have 
have transpired that you obviously need to do that weren't really around. Um, when I was in AE Marketo, um, you know, the, the first component, just if, if I, if I go back to my Marketo world is I put myself in a position where I really needed to, to burn, I burned the ships behind me, meaning that I, I set myself up where I had no option but to find ways to win and bring on new customers. And by that, I mean, look, I got married early. I got married at 26. Um, my wife didn't work and was never going to work. We knew we wanted to have kids and we knew we wanted to live in the Silicon Valley, which is the most expensive place essentially in the world to live no and kidding. buy a house. And to do those things, you've got to be very good and you've got to earn a good amount of money and to earn a lot of money, you got to close a lot of customers. And so I naturally put myself in a position where I couldn't, I couldn't achieve my goals in life if I was just okay. And so, um, you know, that naturally uh, just forced me to raise the bar and essentially everything that I did. And so it was just a mindset thing where good enough wasn't good enough. And through that is, you know, you, you decide to, work hard, work smart, and really take pride in, in learning about your market so that you can educate your customers in a way that, that helps them. It isn't just you barfing product all over them. The one thing that I didn't do back then that I would really encourage people to do today is if people can't find you, they can't learn from you, and they can't decide to buy from you in a sense. And so where I'm going with that is I think that social media and your ability to get yourself out there with ideas and value that matter is really important. And there wasn't really a concept of Twitter or that type of thing uh, when I was in AE. And if there was, I probably wouldn't have done it. Probably would have thought it was stupid. And the, the, the thing about social media is it's a long tail type um, investment of your time. It takes years to develop credibility with your market and your category and you have to be willing to put in the time but once you do your rewards are multiplied and so if i was an early sdr or ae um, i would invest the time there like you know someone that's a friend of mine that i really like kind of the, the coaching he gives his even adr teams is matt amonson who is the vp of sales development and field marketing at everstring and one thing I really like about his organization is he's got a lot of his ADRs on social, just kind of interacting. And even though they may not have millions or hundreds of followers yet, they're trying to give value. And I bet a lot of those people do over time. So uh, I would be doing that early if I was doing it all over again. So uh, I want to unpack that a little bit. You talked about, uh, you know, it could take years, right? Three, four years to build that following. I've got to hit quota today, Ray. How am I able to do that today? What would you be doing on a daily basis today? Um, so on the, you just commit to it and know that it that is a, that it's a long term play. Commit ten minutes a day, you know, whenever you want. Maybe it's on your um, subway ride into the office as part of your morning routine or right before you go to bed. Um, commit to it ten minutes a day. It's like blogging. If you start a blog, no one's going to know about it or they're going to read it. But if you keep doing it and you write good stuff, eventually people will find it. And I would say the same thing applies to social media interaction. And I've read uh, some posts before that you've written, uh, drop the social prefix. It's just selling. What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean that it's not you, you, selling is, is 
it's three things. It's social, phone, and email right now in my mind. And back in my day, um, it was mostly phone with email um, growing. And right now, it's probably 40% phone, 45% email, and 15% social. And the social's growing. I mean, you use social to make people want to respond to your email asking for time. You get people on the phone by writing a very thoughtful email during their time, and then you change their mind or teach them something new in a live conversation. All three of those are a component of the modern seller. Got it. And Ray, so in a similar co- context, I've I've heard you say, well, you just said 40% of the time is is on the phone, but you've also said you don't pick up the phone anymore. A lot of people don't pick up the phone anymore. So how do your ADRs today open up new relationships? What's that look like? Um, I'd say that it's a combination. Uh, it, it, it's really the flow. It's social, email, phone. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're still making phone calls and looking to connect with as many people as possible. But I found, especially in the Silicon Valley or the tech hubs of New York City, Boston, Austin, Seattle, and especially when you're selling to the early adopters, which just so happens to be tech, a lot of those companies don't even have phones on their desk. We don't even have phones on our desk. Um, you know, when we make calls, we're going to make them through a soft phone or something like that. But um, you you have to leverage the research that you've done on people that you can find on the internet, on their Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, to open up a door in the first place. And so I'm encouraging my teams to genuinely look to get to know people, whether that's through research in an email or interaction on social and then an email um, in conjunction with the phone call. You know, you can't get away with not calling people, but unless you're selling to warehouse owners in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, you probably have to get to them through another initial medium of phone before you can maximize your phone time. Got it. And I know I have also seen you tweet about, you know, the best sales reps, they can find ways to turn email into a phone call and knowing when to do that. What what do you mean by that, Ray? How does that work? So um, there's a lot of reps that get caught up in email selling or email negotiation. And so I've got a line that I talked to my team about, a rayism as we call them. If you're negotiating, if you're negotiating over email, you've already lost the negotiation. Um, everybody wants to hide behind email. It's easy to throw a ridiculous price at an AE over email and wait for them to squirm and you know duck them out of a phone conversation, wait for them to just break. So you get an email that has objections or concern around pricing, and you turn that into a phone conversation. And you do that by try, you know, asking questions that they can't answer over email. It would take them 10 minutes to write an email. So they'd rather just talk about it. Um, and so really good reps look for opportunities to, for ways to turn emails into phone calls. And that's you know, an area of coaching that I try to apply to. It's, it's almost like if an email comes into one of my ADRs or AEs, your first instinct, because you've got their attention, they're communicating with you. How can I turn this into a phone call as opposed to an email back and forth? 
so many places I want to go with that, but I'm going to stick with uh, kind of a theme you just talked about, the idea of going dark, right? So someone lobs an objection over the wall to you or they throw out a ridiculous price because, as you said, it's very easy to hide behind email. But let's actually go to the point where they have gone dark. How do you reengage them when they've lobbed something crazy over to you, uh, but now they won't respond to your proposal, whether it's a phone call, email, just no response? How do you get them back engaged in the conversation? Think outside the box. So if you are trying to get in touch with them over phone or email, go into your toolkit and try other ways of communication. You know, let's be real. Um, There's a lot of um, technologies out there that are really focused on what I call robo-spam, which is killing email, which is just I put you on a robo-spam email track. I blast, 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 blast you with email until you respond or unsubscribe or, um, you know, tell me to go, um, go away. And that isn't a really effective way to communicate. And it's arguably making email less and less effective. And so as a uh, counter to that, what's happening is that people are starting to go into these other social media mediums to actually communicate. You know, Tom Tungus over at Redpoint has an article he wrote around how there's 13 different email inboxes today. If you, want, if you want to communicate with someone, I can communicate with you, Jim, via phone, email, text, Snapchat, Pinterest, Facebook Messenger, Facebook, LinkedIn, email. You get the idea. And so there's all these different ways to communicate. When someone goes dark, find their communication vice. You know, if you were to look at me, my vice would probably be take an interest in what I'm talking about on Twitter, genuinely reach out a week later with something that you learned or had an interest in, and then get me reengaged that way. Um, so if, if two doors shut, don't keep banging on that door. Look at different ways to cap- recapture that person's attention and do it in a way that's genuinely valuable and not annoying. If I see that I'm on a robo-spam trap, which I can tell by hovering over the links of an email, if you send me an email, you immediately get a block sender, I never see an email from you again. Wow. After, after just one of those, huh? If, I, if it's clear that it wasn't personalized and this email could have been sent to a million other people, yes. Got it. I want people that actually care about who I am. Got if it. you care, if you're not going to take an interest in me, I'm not going to take an interest in you. I don't have the time. Now, I, so I think in the marketing technology space, that's, that's easier. A lot of us put a lot of information out there on our LinkedIn. We put a lot of information out there on our Twitter. You know, we, we have this presence online. But if you are selling into an industry where, you know, you're researching your prospects and you're literally finding nothing other than the title on their LinkedIn, there isn't a Twitter, you can't get them on you know, Facebook or anything. What would you do to personalize that outreach? How would you or would you just not prospect to them? Very valid point. So look, um, everybody's got their strengths. Um, you know, I think that a lot of where I've learned and a lot of where a lot of my strengths lie is um, really selling in the early adopter um, area and, you know, marketing and sales. That's my strength. Is a lot of what I'm talking about as valid if you are a um, direct sales rep selling machine parts to auto dealers Probably not. So like it is, it, it is more, you're going to have to take more of an old school approach. 
Um, so it does depend on your industry. So if you're in a, a very late majority industry where um, people are very into direct mail or phone, um, not phone that's old, but you know that's really the way they communicate, then you got to go with the flow. Um, and you've got to sell to them the way that they're used to selling. Um, so I guess I, I, I'm the first to say some of these tactics might not apply if you're selling knives door to door. Sure, sure. Ray, what do you think is the biggest thing that, that holds salespeople back from hitting their goals? I would say it's, I think, so competition is good. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I'll give you an example. There are reps I've worked with that, you know, you, as a sales leader, you roll out a chain, you you um, build new territories or you create new bands. And once that change happens, the rep goes and digs into salesforce.com and spends an entire day analyzing how that change gave them a 48% least likely chance to um, have as good of a chance to get quota than Jimmy, who owns the Silicon Valley. And you know, the, my, my point is they are thinking about why they're, they're thinking that if I fail, it's because of this, as opposed to when I win, it's in spite of this. I'll let that sink in for a second. Um, you've got to just decide that you're going to be great at what you do and you're going to win at your job. But if you look for excuses first, then you're not, then you've already lost. Ray, you also said just to begin that, you know, competition is good. When you were at Marketo, right? I mean, that was the marketing automation space. You guys were one of the pioneers in building that. But there was a lot of competition, like head-to-head competition between you and Eloqua. Can you talk about like that space? What was it like um, comparison, comparing features to features? Like how were you doing that when it was just really the two of you and then everyone else? That was fun because we were... It's much funner to be the disruptor than the disrupted. And if you look at Marketo, we were the disruptor of that space. You know, Eloqua was a $35, $40 million business as we kind of came to market. And I really fundamentally believe that John Miller, who's now the CEO of Engageo, built the market animation category and took it mainstream. You know, Eloqua was around for five, seven years before we really did anything in the market. It was just too hard to use and too complicated for the majority to actually use. And Glenn Lipka, who was the first employee at Marketo and is our VP of product at Engageo, built a product that was the iTunes of marketing that was very simple. It was simple to use and powerful. And um, so that was a lot of fun because we had the emerging product that was newer, faster, better in a market that was huge. And Eloqua had to quickly shift, which they did. And they did, I would say, very well um, as they, you know, went from their UI to like Eloqua 10. But it was it was a, it was fun to compete. What's even funner, actually, is to see some of the early leaders in those companies today at other companies where we don't compete. And we get to laugh about the early market automation war. You know, um, Jill Rowley is a friend of mine now, and she was similar to me, a very early AE at Eloqua. And I'm sure there's deals I beat her on, on deals that she beat me on, that we really pissed each other off on. And now we get to look back and laugh about those times. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's 
it's great to compete, but do it with class. And uh, that's something we strive to do today at Engageo too. It is a lot of fun hearing that. I remember, so Derek Grant has been on the show and he used to be at Pardot. And, you know, I was down in the Pardot offices of several years ago and it was almost like they had little football stickers, you know, they put on the helmet, right? And it was just an X through uh, Marketo. And they had taken a client from Marketo. And I say that just because it's simply, it's fun to compete against each other. And now we can look back and say, wow, you know, now we're selling something else. And those were the days, right? But anyway, just a a fun little aside there. I, I've also read some of your stuff where you talk about, right, the presentation is the performance. What do you mean by that? Um, well, when you're selling to front office executives, whether it's sales or marketing, the they have a unique um, perspective and interest on the performance because that's what they do all day. Salespeople sell and marketers get people excited to buy products so they can so that they'll talk to your sales team. And selling into sales and marketing specifically is different. I mean, if you've got a really great product and you match it up to their features, but you present in a very boring way that isn't going to get anybody interested, then you probably aren't going to get the deal. Um, so, you know, I was a communications major. I um, enjoyed playing music and singing and karaoke, and um, I like the ball being in my hands. Um, and I'm the the performance, especially in this industry, is really really key. You give a flat performance, you're probably not going to get the deal. Now it might not be as relevant when you're selling to IT or HR, um, but in the industry I play in, which is sales and marketing, and which is where I'll stay for the rest of my career. It's key to be able to get people excited, for sure. Yeah. I want to flip to the other side of excitement and and talk a little bit about failure. Uh, One of the biggest pieces of feedback I've gotten from the listeners out there is they're like, hey, we love all these success stories, but, you know, we're we're pounding our head against the wall out here. Tell us about when they failed. So is there a failure story, Ray, that you can take me to that might have been like an aha moment for you? Um, I think there's 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 two that I can think of. One's more personal and the other's more uh, a mentality thing. Um, but if I think about failure, you know, I've got three loves in life. My family, Engageo, and the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I love those three things with all my heart. And, um, you know, a few months ago, I was going to take my daughter, who's five. I have three kids, five, two, and five weeks. I was going to take her on a field trip to her school. And I told my wife I was going to do it. I told her I was going to do it. And then I got busy and I didn't do it. And I didn't feel good about myself after that. I didn't need to not do it. You know, it, work is work and it's important, but family's family. And uh, I want to be present in their life. And so um, I, I didn't feel good about myself. I'd consider that a failure um, because I didn't, I didn't prioritize the right thing in that instance. Um, when it comes to my career, I'd say my biggest failures have been when I got down on myself. You know, if you look at my strengths and you look at my traits, if you do executive leadership um, type exercises, I'm a a high achiever. You know, I tend to, I'm motivated more by the fear of failure than the thrill of winning. And those types of people are often wired for burnout in a, um, at a, at a higher percentage. And so there was probably two or three times during my run at Marketo where 
kind of just thought I was done. And I, and I started to blame the company more than looking in the mirror that it was me. You know, in a post that I wrote when I left Marketo, which went viral, a lot of people seemed to enjoy it. I talked about how a lot of, a lot of great salespeople blame the company when it actually is them. And fortunately enough, I haven't experienced it, but I know a lot of people that have. When you have a great salesperson, have a couple tough months, you run from the company as opposed to running to your next thing. You sit down at your desk, you turn on your computer, you look around, and you say to yourself, uh-oh, it was me. And that's an, you know, lucky enough, I haven't had that where I ran from the company and realized I shouldn't have. But I know a lot of people that have, and I was tempted to do that very, very same thing. And the reason I probably didn't was I had great mentors in Bill Binch and Patrick Johnnelly, who were two of my you know, friends and mentors at Marketo. And uh, they were able to keep my head on straight when I lost, when I stopped being able to see the forest from the trees. That's really powerful stuff, Ray. I uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. Ray, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away either. Sales Sooners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We are back and it is time for the money round. Ray, are you ready for the money round? I am ready as I will ever be. Very good. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I'd say after each step in your career, think about the next realistic step. So for me, think of hill, mountain, moon, stars. And if you apply that to my career, the hill was management, the mountain was leadership, the moon was building something amazing and the stars is creating something amazing. And if you look at where I think I characterize myself on the path I'm on, it's really is, is the moon path is building an amazing company and uh, look for your next realistic goal after each step. You take. Ray, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? Pick a niche that you want to spend the rest of your life with and stick with it. I like selling SaaS to sales and marketing, and I won't ever leave. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I'm going to change it. I have a fear of losing more than I enjoy the thrill of winning. I'm scared of being scared. All right. Interesting. What's the book or what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I'll give you two. I think that you've always got to read How to Win Friends and Influence People once every few years. If you're in a um, front office type role, 
And then if you're just getting your career started, you're thinking about that you want to move into sales, you're a new grad or you're someone that's done some other things and wants to get into sales. I think Jeffrey Gittimer's The Sales Bible is a really good just mindset book for selling and is applicable to just about any sales role out there. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Ray's suggestion of The Sales Bible or any other book, head over to salestuners.com slash book where you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Ray, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Well, if you want to grow inside of a company and uh, you know move your career, whether that's moving from smaller deals to bigger deals or deals to management to leadership, I'd say um, my mantra has always been inside of a company, and I think this applied to my run at Marketo, which was don't do anything stupid, don't let your manager down, and don't give up. You do those three things, and you do really good work. You'll grow and accomplish what you want. I'll get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? I would uh, follow me or check me out on Twitter. I am at RayCarroll55 with two R's and two L's. And I'm starting to invest a little bit in Snapchat. So you'll find my Snapchat details on there as well to check out. Feel free to shoot me a follow there and look forward to getting to know you. Ray, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time today. All right. Take care, everyone. Such an incredible conversation today with Ray. And I want to get right to my top takeaways. Number one, know the vice. In today's world where people may have 10 to 15 different inboxes, figure out the best way to communicate with your prospect, whether it's email, Snapchat, Twitter, LinkedIn, or phone. Don't just rely on one channel. Number two, be found. If people can't find you online, they can't learn from you. And if they can't learn from you, they can't decide to buy from you. Invest the time in building your social presence to grow your visibility and perceived thought leadership. Number three, Comparison is the thief of joy. While competition is good, don't let comparing yourself to others steal your success. Salespeople today spend too much time thinking, if I fail, it's because of this, instead of, when I win, it's in spite of this. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guest, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there!